Hello, everybody, and welcome to episode number 19 of Confessions of a Market Maker. I'm your co-host, Ray, a.k.a. All Day Ray, a.k.a. Ellen Degenerate. And I'm joined, I'm joined here by my composed co-host, former market maker of 20 years, a man who goes by VWAP Trader 1 on Twitter, but who doesn't factor VWAP into his trading decisions. Go figure. Uh, a man who you can find patiently ice fishing while trading Globex. I'm talking about the heinous, the egregious, the notorious gorilla of House Street, JJ. JJ, how's it going? Good, Ray. Well, I, I see you didn't switch to decaf. No. <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's egregious. I'll never do that. And today, doing? I'm doing great. I'm doing great. And I'm, I'm really excited for our guest. She began her professional trading career in 1981, making markets and options. Since then, she's been the principal trader for several funds and started her own hedge fund in 2002. The author of two books, featured in the Market Wizard series, and one of the baddest women in trading. I'm talking about Linda Rashke. Linda, how's it going? Ooh, bad. I don't know if I've ever been called that. Well, no, <laughs> right. I, it, you got I, a badass it, speaker here. Let's rock it. Yeah. <laughs> Linda, I meant it as a term of endearment. Like, you know, it's. Hey, listen, you know, any four letter word is a term of endearment in this business. <laughs> <laughs> I'm assuming B A D D. Okay. Yes. I meant, I meant it in a good oh. way, Linda. You know, just very grateful uh, you joined us. A real honor to have someone of your pedigree join us for decades. You survived trading and not just surviving, thriving. Do you still have the same passion you did as when you first started? I don't know. Do I have to answer all questions truthfully? <laughs> <laughs> you know, I, I do because I don't know how to do anything else. I'm like addicted to the charts, you know? Uh -huh. When I semi-retired and closed my hedge fund down and everything, I have to be frank. All of a sudden it was like, Oh, you mean I can have a life? I don't have to work 18 hour days anymore, you know? And so that kind of took the edge off a little bit. I, I realized just, um, you know, the intensity that I had been involved with in the markets for so many years. So I, I, I've definitely backed off that type of intensity level, which is a good thing or else I'd probably be dead. So, <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I would imagine that it did contribute a lot to your excess. I mean, do, do you regret like maybe going too hard? Oh God, no, no. I, you no. know, I mean, I think anything in life, if you're passionate about it, I mean, mm. you could work 24 seven. It's, it's, uh, it's not work. It's what you enjoy, you know, mm -hmm. and when you're proficient in it, it makes it enjoyable. So, um, I, I mean, I think it, you know, it was the greatest, greatest thing that happened to me, you know, getting involved in the markets. Awesome. Awesome. All right. So I'm, I'm going to pass JJ. I'll pass the mic over to you. Get started. Maybe go in a little bit of back background. Well, it's just, it's absolute honor to have you with us. And I, I have to credit you for helping me get my first job in the market because I read market wizards. And you know, uh, when you worked for crown Zeller back, you uh, got a job near the exchange. So I went, wow, that's a great idea. And I did the same thing. <laughs> And, uh, you know, within a couple of months, I started working at night for a promoter and he got me my, you know, my first real job. And, uh, and that's all because of you. So thank you. You there never you really go. get to thank And me. here we are. Such a small yeah. world. Yeah. It's, you, you never really get to thank the people that, you know, especially in, in books. So it's, it's wonderful. 
So thank you very much for that. Mm. <laughs> we, um, so when you started, you, you were at the Pacific Exchange, wasn't it? Uh, in I was in San Francisco on the Pacific Coast Stock Exchange, and I was there until um, the beginning of 1984, and then I moved to the Philadelphia Stock Exchange. Okay. So I was there till um, 1987, actually. And, okay. Yeah. Right, right till the crash. And how did you, um, you know, when you, when in your journey, um, how did you find, you know, your first experiences? Because a, a lot of people, um, you know, really don't get to see, um, you know, those sort of old characters and, and those kind of people that, you know, used to, you know, be in the industry when it was more face to face and, you know, before the, the technology age. Um, how, you know, how did you enjoy, you know, your first experiences uh, when you first started down there? Um, I was fucking miserable because <laughs> I had blown out and was like deeply in debt. And so I felt like an indentured servant. So okay. I, uh, you know, it, it, you know, you're doing it because you're wearing this um, ankle bracelet, you know, with a big oh, yeah. uh, 50 pound ball on it. Right. Yeah. You know, uh, so um, I obviously, you know, that's, that's what happened right after I blew out. And then I, I uh, became a sort of a, a trader for somebody else that wanted me to put on positions and, and, and arb things and stuff like that before there were all these inefficiencies arbed out of the market, you know? And, yeah. um, and then when I moved to the Philadelphia exchange, I, I pretty much had paid off my debt and, and went out on my own. And, and so that was a better time, you know, like 87, you oh, know, right. I'd been trading five years and I had finally paid off my debt. And, wow. um, you know, it, it was different on the floor. I can honestly say that, um, you know, it was a different type of energy. There's nothing that you would have learned per se technically from being on the floor. And when you make the transition to being in front of the screens, it's a very, very technical world for me, you know, but yet you still have the sense of the rhythm of the day, which is a little bit less pronounced nowadays since all the rhythm happens in the first two hours, you know, <laughs> and yeah. that's it, you know, um, but it used to be, you know, pretty much, you know, three swings during the day and you could get a sense of how the specialists, you know, would then get their inventory back at lunchtime. And then, mm -hmm. you know, if, if a morning rally would, um, lead to an afternoon follow through or an afternoon attempt that failed and then reversed. And, and there was a little bit more flow to the day, a little bit more yeah. continuity because you didn't have so much happening um, in the overnights market like you do now. Mm. Um, but, you know, I will say this, that um, the first, I would say the first eight years of my career, you know, was, being wide-eyed and wondrous and innocent despite you know my um managing to get deeply into debt and all that kind of stuff and you know a term a period of exploration and um you know if it was um joining the mta or uh right you know subscribing to club 3000 which was one of the very first um letters that um talked about 
systems, you know, and, and the future side of the business was so far ahead of the equity side in terms of quantitative modeling and systems and things like that. Oh, really? uh, you know, obviously you had a, a big influence from people like Larry Williams and um, then later on Toby Craybell and volatility breakout systems and a whole uh, genre of, of things that were put into place, you know, the trend following systems, obviously, from the early 80s. Um, there was a system called aberration that was based on the standard deviation function. You know, you had all these really cool things to investigate, you know, not that mm -hmm. any of them would have been a printing press for you. <laughs> and and um, all of them were well ahead of the uh, group of people that were trading equities, you know, so I, I feel like I really had a leg up there because my original background was equity options and um, stocks, you know, but yet after the crash of 87, a lot of the volume dried up in the options. And um, I had started trading the S&Ps the very first day they were listed. I mean, literally really? the first day they came on the board. Wow. I made a trade. I, I wrote about it in my book. I, I scalped two ticks on a one lot. <laughs> like, you know, I, I swear I have that statement buried somewhere. I have oh, that is so cool. Save it, you know. Yeah. So that was like really primitive in those days. Um, wow. But, you know, that's why I felt like the S&P was always my baby. And so then when we were trading options on the floor in Philadelphia, I would always make an S&P trade in the afternoon just because it was a way to capitalize on a sense of market timing. And, uh, you know, I wrote about that stuff in, in the book and I've mentioned it in Market Wizards and so forth. But my main point is, is that I spent 10 years, you know, trading and going through the learning curve and trying to figure out technical analysis, you know, in a different sense. Um, I do remember taking a trip up to New York, I think it was in 91 or 92. And there was a gal up there in, uh, in, in an office that was an office that was raising money for Liz Cheval. I remember that. And um, she was showing me market profile at the time. And I'm like, oh, I couldn't make heads or tails out of that. Because yeah. it didn't work with, you know, bar charts and my momentum, yeah. you know, and the daily swings. It was a, a different feeling. So I continued to ignore market profile for, like, goodness knows, the next at least 10 years, 15 years. It just never clicked with me. And so I think that for a lot of individuals out there, you know, you just have to recognize that, it's a very personal journey, you know, navigating mm -hmm. your way through the markets. And one thing might resonate with one person, but might not resonate with another person. And then you might find yourself revisiting things, you know, five years later, 10 years later. So the whole thing is really a, um, a lifestyle and a process and um, a, a journey at which you never quite arrive. <laughs> Seems to be. Yeah. It, uh, that's that that's something to have that 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 trade ticket you know that that's uh that's a very cool thing mm. it's I, I was you know i was reading uh, because everything's gotten so automated now and you know you started in, in you know you were that generation that hand drew charts and you know and did all of that sort of you know really really difficult well not difficult but time consuming homework 
And it's funny now when I talk to people and, you know, they're like, oh, can't we get this thing to just update automatically? I'm like, well, you're just moving a few reference lines around, just, you know, mark, you know, changing things at the end of the day. And I find that it kind of reinforces it in your head. And I used to even draw out profiles when I first started, um, you know, and then I read what you said about recording price action every five, uh, five or 10 minutes, was it? Well, it would start out every five minutes, and by the yeah. time you get halfway over through the day, it's all of a sudden down to 30 minutes. Exactly. <laughs> you, know, you, exactly. you burn out taking readings. I know you do. And I, I, I did that, too, when I was, when I was starting out. And uh, I, I guess, and you were right about uh, it sort of reinforcing it in your head. They're all good exercises, you know, but I do feel strongly that um, they do say when you write things down, it goes to a different part of the brain. So even if you have, uh, like, I take the window profile, you know, the window trader market profiles, you know, that I was telling you that Damon uses in the morning. Mm -hmm. And even if you go through the process of drawing out the little horizontal lines for the levels because um, I think that's the most valuable thing when you are looking at a, a distribution type of, of chart yeah. is, is noting the levels. And it's just, I mean, I come from a traditional background of the swing highs and swing lows, or, which are a different way of looking at levels, right? But the profile, you can kind of get, well, here's the fat point and here's the, yeah. you know, the single prints and, and yeah. that they're all well-watched levels in the market, unlike something like Fibonacci, you know, which is really um, ambiguous. And so the mere process of noting these things and, and drawing them on your charts, it makes an impression on the brain, you know, so you can't go through and watch the markets as if you're watching a television screen. It just, it's not exactly. going to have the same impact, you know, in terms of you feeling it and internalizing it you know mm -hmm. i i really feel that with discretionary trading which face it which is, is what 99 percent of um us traders do um there is something to be said for internalizing the feeling of the, you know when the market is testing this gap area or one of these levels and that sense of is there volume or is it you know a failed auction or um these types of things so um yeah, you know, I, I would always encourage people, whatever you can do by hand, even if it's just drawing trend lines on your chart, it does make a difference. Yeah, good stuff. Uh, Ray, I shouldn't uh, monopolize the conversation here. I should. Uh... Yeah, yeah, sure. Yeah. So, uh, Linda, you, you wrote an article, um, I think it was maybe 2014, it's called Secrets of Top Trading Performance. I, I want to read an excerpt from it that I found powerful. It says, if you have a chattering monkey sitting behind your ear, routines and rituals are one of the best things to shut that monkey up. What routines and rituals uh, do you have? You know, um, you can have a, a routine or a ritual for absolutely everything. So, for mm -hmm. example, if you break the tasks that you go through during the day that's the best way to start so that you don't overwhelm yourself if you sit there and you make a checklist with too many items you're not going to follow it so it could be as simple as you know i get out of bed i brush my teeth i go uh you know make my tea you know check my screens to make sure that my computers are up and running and then i go back and you know let the dog outside that type of thing so do is following something in a consistent way that's a good habit 
that you can just give your brain a little bit of a, of a break. And mm -hmm. so then, you know, when I sit down in the morning, um, we have a process of, okay, where does the market open? You know, where did it gap relative to the previous day's range? How big is the gap? So what should the initial play be? That would be very similar to, I'm sure you're familiar with the concept of opening in balance or out of balance, mm -hmm. these types of things in value or outside of value. Um, I don't use those semantics, you know, but um, similar type of, of thing. And, um, and, and then, okay, how do we trade off that opening price? You know, what, what are we doing for that first five minute bar? Do we ever trade back above the high of that first five minute bar? Blah, blah, blah. And then at the top of the um, hour, you know, what is the volume? What is the 30 minute volume on the NYSE? And how does that compare relative to previous days? And so then you can start to mark off these, um, you know, just key uh, structural things, either in terms of a time function or a price function that help you um, chunk the data during the day. So uh, that's really helpful in terms of organizing um, the, you know, when you've got just this overwhelming stimulus coming at you mm -hmm. all day right. long, you know? Oh, wow. So, uh, you know, I have one scan on TradeStation. I always look at in the first 10 minutes, what's moving best off its opening price? You know, what oh. what's the leadership off the opening price in the first 10 minutes? And then if there happens to be a good little, you know, short-term flag um, on some of my top 40 option stocks, you know, that's a great scalp. You know, if you want to use weekly options, there's something like that just for short-term leverage. So there's all kinds of little tricks and things that you can you can do, just different strategies that follow a sequence, a chronological sequence. Mm -hmm. And uh, I think I think that's important. You know, um, another thing you said that you had uh, you were familiar with Jim Dalton's work, and Jim Dalton actually got this from his mentor. But you can only process for about 90 minutes at a time. And so people need to be aware of that. So, right. you know, break up your day where you have sort of 90 minute segments and then you, you get up and you, you do something, you know, just to give it a little bit of a fresh slate going into the next 90 minute segment. And uh, so all of these things can be rituals or routines or processes. Um, same thing when you go to execute, you might have a sequence, uh, perhaps where you're writing down your trade. And before you do that, you have to put a check mark that, you know, for perhaps you had to look at the hourly charts first or, you know, a five minute chart or something just to make sure that you weren't being reactive and buying on a bulge mm -hmm. or, um, you know, shorting into the hole or something like that. Um, you know, talking about monkey brains, um, <laughs> You know, so you could you could have a, a little process or a ritual for the execution. You know, I have something where when I make a trade, I always put in an initial stop. It's a default stop, and it is really far away. You know, so it's not oh. it's pretty not pretty much not going to get stopped out. But you have a stop in place, and then from there. Um, you can manage the trade. So if the market mm -hmm. gives you an opening, it's like a little chess game. Then you can you can tighten that stop up, or perhaps uh, scale out of partial, or or flatten at any point. You know, there's 
there's not a right or wrong, but you still have a process for the, mm -hmm. you know, the mechanics of the execution part of the game. And then at night, you know, I have a process for, okay, I write down my, my numbers, you know, I still do that. You know, I, I'll go through each of my um, 24 futures markets one by one. I can do it in about 20 minutes because I know I'm just looking for very specific things. Okay. And, uh, you know, then when I come in in the next morning, first thing I sit down and, you know, go through and look at the two 40 minute charts just to see if there's any compelling buyer sell divergences if we've been up or down for three or four days in a row, you know, because I like to have sort of a 120 or a 240 or a daily um, as the wind behind my back, you know, I want that to be my primary uh, basis for a trade, you know, as opposed to, um, you know, looking at five minute charts, which are fine for a trigger or short term timing if you want, but you still want to have the primary trend for the day, you know, as being potentially in your favor. Well, that mm -hmm. makes total sense. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, no, that, that article like really spoke to me because pr prior to trading, I mean, I, I still am a, a professional poker player. That's how I make most of my money. And that was one of my biggest problems was, I guess you, in, in relating it to trading was my execution. I was always like overthinking scenarios and learning how to like trust my, uh, trust my preparation um, and kind of turn off, like you said, like the, in the article, the chattering monkey, um, and you said like great performance comes from turning off the brain and becoming automatic. And so yeah, you don't want to think during the day, <laughs> right, right, right. Oh right, my right. God. Yeah. 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 Oh. Yeah, I mean, so, talk about having bias. I cannot be objective during the day. Yeah. Yeah, for sure, for sure. And so, so on this topic, what are some of your trading and psychological demons that you've had to overcome and/or still fighting? Well, just about all of them. Just about <laughs> every day. I'm yeah. I'm human, you know. Uh -huh. I I my my um. My biggest challenge will always come if I haven't had a good night's sleep. I'm, I'm sure I'm no different than anybody else, but mm -hmm. um, it's really important for me to feel physically um, alert and physically energetic uh, before I know that I have the confidence to be mentally energetic. So a great, uh, for me, a, a great amount of um, if I'm doing if I'm living life properly um, you know just comes from taking care of your body and your health and you know all these things are common sense that would make sense for any athlete right mm -hmm, you know yeah. mm -hmm. so if if any of those have been compromised for me meaning like if I went out and celebrated somebody's birthday the night before and and uh, had a martini <laughs> i'll feel it the next morning you know so i really try to be careful about you know not doing those things um you know saving things to the weekend uh and and trying to get a good night's sleep and and trying to have physical exercise every day to relieve the stress and if i um load my boat too much you know with too many things on my plate I'm no different than anybody else. I think it's very difficult to trade when you have distractions. Mm -hmm. I think it's impossible to trade, you know, when you're doing multitasking. I just do not believe in that. I've never seen any 
great trader do well uh, while they're multitasking? You know, it is a, a concentration game. And um, so anything that's going to pull you away from that game, you know, you need to be mindful of and, um, you know, maybe pull in your horns a little bit or recognize that you are not in a strong position as a trader, you know, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. so... Yeah, no, good stuff. I, I, I love like the comparing it to an athlete and because it, it really is. It's like, yeah, we're not doing physical activity per se, but it's still a performance sport that we're that we're doing. And, totally. and so many people think it's like, oh, we're just sitting at home. You know, people are just dicking <laughs> off. You know what I mean? It's like, no, like it's you got to stay sharp. You got to treat it just like an athlete. And I love that. And um, Linda, so. I, I've read that you said, so you talk about not being perfect, but you just have to stay in the game. What does that mean to you? I think one of the things, um, of course, there's all these like little concepts of mindfulness and things like that, which um, may be useful to some people, maybe not to others. By the way, I do not meditate. Okay, so um, <laughs> confessions, you know, confessions of a market maker. There we go. There I do we not go. meditate. All right. Uh-oh. I just, I, I don't have time to meditate. Okay, that sounds sick. But um, everybody does everything in their own way. Sure, but I yeah. would say that... Um, you have to think of the markets as obviously they're not a closed system. If you're into uh, math or uh, systems dynamics or anything like that, it's not a closed universe. And, you know, our ability to, uh, we want to be able to predict and forecast a lot better than we actually can. And so what I try to do is take a very Bayesian type of approach of just one data point at a time. You know, if that's on a daily basis, one data point on a daily, you know, bar at a time. Um, That's sort of the logic behind Taylor, you know, Taylor technique. Is it a buy day? Is it a sell short day? You know, how do we trade off the opening price? Every day has its own action unto itself. You know, and um, the minute that you want to look out a little bit more long term on the swing can be a double edged sword for probably most traders, you know, um, because you'll you'll be guaranteed to get caught up in the noise, you know, because the noise is so extreme these days. So, um, yeah, one date at a point at a time, one swing at a time, you know, just stay in the moment and follow the market's action. Um, a lot of the game is waiting till you get that opening, till you know that mm. you've got that tiger by the tail. You know, mm-hmm. I mean, people would probably be surprised. Most of my trades are not anything to write home about. You know, they're not really stellar. But I do know when I've got that tiger by the tail, when my idea is right and I see the volume coming in, mm-hmm. and I can be really aggressive at adding to a trade, super aggressive. But people don't understand that that might only happen maybe one out of every 30 trades you know Mm, and the temptation is to think that you have that tiger by the tail but you really don't you know and that's something that everybody has to understand just comes 
with um, improving with experience, you know, and there's no amount of reading that can speed up that learning curve. There's mm -hmm. no amount of uh, doing educational classes, you know, or courses that can speed True. up that learning curve. I mean, it might be helpful if you have a group, you know, a Skype group or a chat room or something like that that keeps you engaged in the markets. Mm -hmm. yeah, okay. Yeah. But, and, and people can listen to you in your room, but it's not going to help them speed up the learning curve. They have to, it, it keeps them in the game, you know, it keeps them yeah. from going and turning on the TV set or something like that, which I, I've never had a TV in my office. Um, but it's, I think it's a cardinal sin to be listening to people on the boob tube. Uh, oh God, know. isn't it? Oh, <laughs> I, know, agree. I just, I just I agree. don't do that. And oh. I never have. So, um, you know, you have to learn to see things for yourself, to feel things for yourself. And um, if somebody's pointing something out that's of value, you have to learn to see that eventually on your own, you know? And um, so it, it's, it's just a process of, of really experience counts for a lot and time, you know, it's just time. Right, 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 again, that's screen time. So Linda, so talk about your style of trading and how it's evolved. You know, I'm just curious from, you know, trading on the floor to managing others' monies and then trading your own account. Well, um, when I was on the floor, obviously I had an initial edge because the pricing and the equity options was pretty skewed and, um, you know, that was very helpful. Okay. You know, um, mm -hmm you could actually make money from <laughs> doing call spreads and, you know, ratio rights and things like that. I don't really think that's the game anymore. Um, but I also felt pretty confident, um, you know, by being on the floor and having neutral positions, which you're always watching that you're not too long or short in your Delta and so forth. Um, you don't have too much of a directional bias, you stay flexible, you know, at the same time, you learn that you can still lean, you know, lean with a bit of an edge, you know, lean in the direction the market's moving or when to lag a spread or how to lag a spread. There's definitely a, in my opinion, a very strict methodology about how you, how you go about lagging a spread. Um, if, 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 uh, you know, that's going to be your initial safety net when you're trading. Um, and it's, uh, so, so when I was on the floor, you know, it was an evolution for me. Um, it wasn't until I left, I had always been doing these, uh, charts by hand, you know, this, uh, SMR security market research, a charting service where I'd update the daily bar charts by hand. And at night you'd call the hotline for the little oscillator number, wow. <laughs> you know, and then you block <laughs> that, you know, so you're always plotting the oscillator in the day. And I'll tell you, it is amazing how you get a feel, you know, just doing the daily bar chart and updating the oscillator at night. Uh -huh. It's just it's a really powerful tool and I wow. would encourage anybody just to try it for like, you know, a month. You can print off charts on your computer and just leave enough space. So you've got like a week or two weeks where you can update them by hand. And it's, it's, it's super, uh, super powerful exercise. So I always used to update that by hand and I used to keep the market internals, uh, the trend, the, the ticks, the breadth. The, we have some special short ratios in those days and you oh, know, nice. lovely cool. little things like that that you don't have anymore. Um, 
So you start to really get a feel that the market is this living, breathing, holistic organism, you know, just uh, with a, a total life of its own, this pulsating blob, you know, <laughs> and, and, and yeah, and at certain times this pulsating blob, you know, will will just get too pulled too far in one extreme or the other, like a rubber band, you know? Exactly. Yeah. Unfortunately, um, I don't think those opportunities are as easy to detect or as well-defined um, as they used to be. Obviously, if you have a V, a big V spike low, such as the one that we had, um, that was a very obvious buy signal at the beginning of the year, only if you were also looking at the things like sentiment readings and, you know, put call ratios and breadth oscillators or divergence and breadth oscillators, you know, things like that. You know, otherwise, if we start going off of pure technical structure, I think that it would have been very easy for a lot of people to um, not see the v inversion in the momentum you know and start looking to short the first rally which i know i had a lot of friends that were caught up in that you know and um you know just because i think that there's been an overemphasis on the the continuation patterns in this business and as you probably are well aware of from having a bit of a market profile background not enough focus has been um, presented on also understanding the concept of the failed auctions or the mm. climax, you know, the test right. and reject type of concept. Yes. Mm -hmm. So um, all these things are common threads that can carry through whether you're a trader or a technician, and they still have roots that go back like a hundred years, you know, say for example, Wyckoff, you know, his concept of the springs and upthrusts when you have the false breakouts, you know, through the ranges or the false breakouts, you know, with a bracketing market and then you gravitate back towards the node or the reversion to the mean, you see? Yeah, yeah. So we can put these in terms of uh, modern day concepts as well. Um, I think that I have a better understanding of quantifying structure from the work I did 15 years ago, you know, with ATR functions and so forth in terms of recognizing that what might be traditional cliche teachings, you know, from oh, technicians, you know, on the internet and stuff um, really fall short in terms of the the number of trades the trade frequency versus like the number of false signals okay so no. i don't think i i don't think for a newer trader they recognize just how increased the uh the noise is you see mm -hmm. uh definitely huge increase in noise things go further than they should on a short-term basis um, you know, I've always said with long-term trends and, and long-term technicals, the market's going to move further than anybody ever thinks it will, you know, to the upside or the downside in any market. doesn't matter. I, I guarantee nobody saw the 30-year bonds going down to 2%, you know. So things always move further than you think they will, right? But, um, but on a very short-term basis, those moves really are not – as sustainable, you know, as you would think. Maybe only one out of every 10 of those moves 
is truly sustainable, right? You know what I'm That's talking true. about? Oh, yes. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, okay. But it feels so good when you're in it, right? You know? Yes. <laughs> it feels so good when you finally got a trend day. We want to just play that game the next day and the next day. And the oh, next I know. I know. And, and, and you can't we, do that, you see? And so, we haven't had true trend days in a while. You know, we trend up and then down and then stall. And it's just, it's been kind of strange lately. Well, you know, um, e even in my, in my past work, we would really expect no more than one or two true trend days a month. I mean, that's been that way forever and ever and ever, you know, oh, okay. it's, yeah, it's just been that, um, you know, when I have to quantify a trend day as having a, the range expansion, opening at one end of the range, closing at the other end of the range, you know, there's all kinds of ways that you can quantify it. And in, in the true definition of a trend day, um, you know, you have to have some type of single time framing element, meaning like if you were looking at a 30 minute bar chart, you really can't have more than one, let's say you're in an uptrend, you really don't want to see more than one bar that makes a lower low, you know, perhaps oh, in the middle of the day, there's a little ABC. Yeah. It used to be that the true definition of a trend day would be this kind of single time framing concept mm -hmm. of, on a 30 minute bar chart with maybe just three bars overlap you know yeah. three price bars yeah. overlap in the middle of the day yeah. so you know now with the urgency off the opening price and everybody wants to do this open drive concept and so forth you know it's it's a, a slightly different game um but you get what i'm saying it's 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 like yes if you do have a great day it feels so good you just think yes. you're <laughs> king of the world and you can keep playing that game you know the next day and the next yeah. day and That's then you get true. tripped up yeah mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So, you know, what's your, you know, advice for keeping up with the ever evolving market and, or does this just come strictly from preparation? Well, preparation is the key for everything because um, that's the only way if you know that you have the wrong game plan too, right? You know, mm -hmm. I mean, that mm -hmm. can be a very powerful thing as well. If I think that, oh, wow, we should be having a, you know, a, an upside breakout, but you, you poke your head up, you know, the look above and fail type of thing. Mm -hmm. Wow, you know, at least I know how to frame it out because I was looking for some type of range expansion of the upside and clearly I'm not getting it, which could have implications for a better trade to the downside you know you, you yep. have to stay uh, quick on your feet but you can't do that you know unless you've done your modeling or your preparation because what will happen is you'll just end up getting very reactive you know and perhaps right. you'll, you'll buy a flag at the top of the range without recognizing that it was a failed test you know there's yeah. all kinds of little uh, evils uh, out there mm -hmm. yeah, very true for sure true. So, so Linda, I saw that you use ticks. How does it assist you in your trading? And I'm asking personally because it, I'm not sure sometimes how to, as JJ knows, how to uh, interpret it. You know, ticks are not nearly as important as they were many years ago. And quite frankly, ticks is not a piece of exchange transmitted data. Meaning that each backend, you know, data feed calculates ticks on its own. And that's going to be dependent on the size of its database that it is calculating on. So, oh. for example, if I take CQG and I compare it to TradeStation, yes. CQG will have a different range in the ticks 
than TradeStation because they have different size database. That's um, what it is. You'll still see the same swings, of course. You know, if a buy program comes in, of course, you'll see the, uh, mm. the markup in the ticks. Um, I... You just want to be careful that you're not selling in the hole, you know, when the ticks exactly. are buried. Um, you, if it's a light volume day, you can use them. Uh, you could put up, like, say, for example, a two-minute chart of the ticks, and then you can put up a two-minute stochastic, and you will notice that they are nearly identical. Mm. I'm, I'm not kidding you. Yeah. Mm. So, um, you know, they, they function as an oscillator on, on that type of sense. And then, of course, I, I love seeing, if I'm, if I'm long, you know, I love seeing new tick highs in the afternoons. So there's some mm. subtle pattern recognition, but you'll see that ticks are also very highly correlated to the market breadth. So, you know, if you have right. a very um, strong downside bias to the day, the ticks are going to have a very strong downside range, in which case, you know, any pop up in the ticks, it's like whack-a-mole, you know, exactly. <laughs> slam that yeah. thing again, yeah. you know, but you, yeah. you really could play the same, same thing, with <laughs> a little stochastic and, you know, playing whack-a-mole with a stochastic. Okay. Uh, you know what? You, you answered a question for the last five years. I couldn't figure out why these ticks are different from platform to platform. Ah. And I, nobody could answer that question. And finally, it's like, okay, it's about the database. I thought it was from the exchange and coming from the equity side of things, the futures people really do it differently. You know, every uh, data provider has different data and, and now databases. I didn't even think about that. So thank you very much. That's Come to the guru <laughs> on top of the mountain, and I can answer any question for you. <laughs> oh man! Oh, this is uh, so cool. So, so Linda, your your spouse uh, Damon, well respected in the industry, good follow on Twitter. Shout out to Damon. How do you guys? How do you guys balance trading and personal life? Or are you guys talking trading at the dinner table? <laughs> we never talk trading. <laughs> No, no, no. That is the biggest mistake in the world. You do not talk markets with your spouse. Really? <laughs> Same thing. Okay. I was married the first, you know, the first time around I had married somebody from the trading floor that I had met. And uh, I, I joke about it in my book. You know, I wrote this book, Trading Sardines. I don't know if you've read it, but it's like all my, all my war stories over the past okay. 40 decades and everything I, I learned and stuff, you know, and I made a joke in there that, uh, you know, if my first husband and I hadn't talked markets, I'm sure we would have been divorced sooner than we were <laughs> yeah no you know it's like the nice thing is is that you understand if somebody's in front of the screens in the evening or damon's yes. doing a webinar or you know taking time to go to you know downtown to meet clients or whatever the case may be i think that you're very um cognizant of the time demands of the business and mm -hmm. uh i i don't think that it would be very difficult for me to have been um, a professional trader and expect to only work eight hours a day. You know, I just, exactly. and so therefore you have to have an understanding significant other that uh, allows you the freedom to do the work or preparation that you need to do without making you feel guilty about that. You know, <laughs> that's very true. Yeah. So, so JJ, my theory was right because we, we talked, I, I talked to him about this beforehand and I was thinking that it wouldn't make for a good relationship probably if it's just all like trading, 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 all business. So 
Yeah. No, because you know what? Everybody has a very different way of perceiving the markets. And, mm -hmm. you know, a bull and a bear can be right. It's just going to be a function of timing. And, you, you know, you don't want to debate these things with the person that's closest to you. you know? yeah. <laughs> that's not a good idea. So, uh, yeah. And, and I would imagine, too, you guys need a break. And that's, that's what it is. It's you guys coming together, spending time together, getting away from the markets. I would assume. I don't know. But, sure, we live yeah. in our basement, <laughs> like an individual <laughs> couple. <laughs> yes. So, speaking of your book, the um, trading with sardine is that that's the name of it, no, right? It's called trading, trading sardines. Trading sardines. Trading sardines. Trading. <laughs> trading, <laughs> trading. Yeah, that's what sardines. I do. I eat a can of sardines at my desk for lunch every day. <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah. Anyway, tell us, tell the listeners about it and where they can purchase the book. <laughs> well, you're not going to find it on Amazon. I know. <laughs> so, I know. Now, if you go to my website, you can purchase it off there. I, I tried to make it very affordable, relatively speaking, to like what technical books charge, you know. Um, and uh, it, it, interestingly enough, about 45% of the sales have been international, which I find totally fascinating because wow. – you have to pay through the nose if you're, you know, if you're getting it to Singapore or Australia or something mm -hmm. like that, you know. Mm. But um, if you go to my website, you'll be able to not only see the table of contents there, but you can read the first chapter and see the style in which it's written, which um, I am not a writer. So I worked for three years <laughs> trying to learn how to write. <laughs> And and hopefully anybody that reads this will find it hysterically funny because what happened is I, I worked really hard for a year writing the first draft of this book. And and the the initial premise was that I felt like I was on the wrong side of every black swan out there, you know? Exactly. <laughs> was, I, I read about that. Yeah. Yeah, if there was gonna be an event or a gap or an outlier guaranteed I was on the wrong side of it. So, I mean, a lot of my career has been spent digging myself out of holes, you know? <laughs> <laughs> I, I, can I can relate. I can relate. Right. You know, yeah. so yeah. seriously, it's, it is a big yeah. part of the game, having the perseverance and yeah. the process that you know that you have an edge. And by knowing you have an edge, it's going to keep you going because it's just, exactly. you know, it's like poker. Maybe you hit a bad streak of cards but mm -hmm. it doesn't mean that you're a lousy poker player it's Absolutely. just part of the game you know yeah, and um you know when i grew up that's you know I, there's a chapter in there how i grew up like the importance of game playing and uh you know that's what my family always did <laughs> we were too oh. poor for any other form of entertainment you know <laughs> so my mom was really big on card games and part cheesy and all oh, these cool. you know different things and so i grew up playing games and when you do that you realize very quickly that <laughs> you're gonna lose a great deal of the time you know yeah oh that's yeah it's true oh yeah right. so uh, there's a lot of um, um, interesting little analogies that I conclude so many people I had um, I learned so much from you know over the years from uh, amazing mentors who have passed you know to people like Ned Davis to people you know my my greatest uh, friend Mike Epstein who uh, was 
was in the markets for 60 years and ran the quant lab up at MIT. You know, there's wow. a chapter wow. on him. And I, I just tried to include what I felt would be all these pearly words of wisdom and lessons that I had learned, you know, before I passed so that they could at least be passed on, you know, mm -hmm. and in the meantime, it, in a very humorous way. So I wrote this first draft of the book. Um, it took me about a year to do it, you know, going through like, I had like 40 notebooks over the years, you know, <laughs> I'm going through all these notebooks and I'm like, I Oh God, I forgot about that one. That really sucked. You know, Oh, I know, I know. <laughs> you know, it was, it was fun. And all the, all the little notes I'd make to myself. And then I read my draft and I'm like, this is so boring. I don't even want to read this. <laughs> you know, I'm like, Oh, I can't print this. This is an embarrassment, you know? So I was going to hire a, uh, like a professional ghostwriter, something oh. to help me like spice it up a little bit, you know. And uh, before I did that, my uh, my daughter, who is actually she's she's thirty now, but you know it was in that millennial genre. She said, "Oh, mommy, you know, please, you know, let me take a crack at it, you know. Let me uh, let me see if I can rewrite some of this for you." So lo and behold, she rewrote my first chapter, and so that's why oh. that first chapter is <laughs> great to read on the website. And um, she rewrote the first chapter and it was so funny. I was laughing my ass off, you know, and then she got like halfway through the second chapter, at which point she a decided to change jobs. And that was like a big time commitment. B decided to go through a divorce. That was a big oh. time commitment. C decided to move. So six months goes by and I'm like, hey. you have to write more. I want to know what happens. Yeah, to you. exactly. <laughs> so, so at that point, I realized that she was not going to do this job for me, oh, and she wow. advised me to read. Uh, Stephen King wrote a fabulous book on um, oh, on writing yeah. uh, early yeah. on. Yeah, just a, an amazing, an amazing oh, writer. Wow. And so then I took a year off to kind of indulge myself in reading all these funny genres, you know, like David Barry and these classic, um, you know, American humorists and seeing the style, understanding the style that they could write that it's okay to not have perfect sentences and, you know, right, and right. the funny little anecdotes that are so personal is really what makes the part of the storytelling. And, um, exactly. you know, I'm, I'm really proud of myself because I suck with words, you know, and, um, <laughs> but I'm, I'm good with numbers, but I feel like I could sit there and I could read this book every single week and never get bored. I mean, it just, it, it cracks me up, you know? So uh, it, there's so many funny little anecdotes and stories in there. So that's sort of the story of the book. I tried to include as much lessons in the markets as I could, you know, and, and my trading program and how I traded and the things that I looked at and stuff while wrapping them in a very entertaining uh, type of style. Mm -hmm. So, you know, that's, that's available for order on my uh, website. And uh, I don't know, maybe in another year, I'll list it on Amazon or something. But Amazon just pissed me off, you know. <laughs> Seriously, it's like, they wanted like so much money, they wanted like 50%. And that was like of the wholesale price of the retail price, you know, I still had to pay for the book, you know, and the printing and I did it like first class. I mean, I, I hired the, you know, 
the best, you know, printer mm -hmm. out there and the best paper and the heaviest paper and the, you know, classiest, you know, co book cover and like the linen, you know, yeah. oh, yeah, bound yeah. stuff, you know, <laughs> I mean, like, you know, I figured I'm only going to do this once, oh, right? Yeah, you know, why not? <laughs> I'm so, never doing this again. So, uh, you know, but then Amazon's taking like all this money and, you know, this, this and that, and you never even get to see who bought your book, you know, and oh, I just had okay. such a kick seeing like, I'm like, oh my God, I can't, why are so many people buying my book in, in Singapore or, you know, Hong Kong or I don't know, just different places in the world. It's, it's, it's crazy, you know, so I, I you know, you're not going to ever make money from writing a book. I'll tell you that much, you know, <laughs> <laughs> but it was, it was a, um, it was a process, you know, it's like on my, um, Bucket list. Okay, I checked that one off. I'm not going to yeah. write any write anymore. <laughs> nice, nice. No, it's it's interesting. We we had on. I don't know if you know or heard of Tony Duff. He wrote a book by side, uh, and and that's what he said too. He wrote he read that Stephen King book oh. before writing his book. Okay. Uh, it was a big recommendation to him, so that's interesting. And uh, oh. yeah, uh, JJ's already ordering the book. He he saw that his idol, uh, the Oracle, wrote a review. Jim Dalton. So he's. He's buying oh. that right away. Yeah, so. <laughs> no, it's yeah, funny. Jim, no, we... Jim Dalton gave it its stamp of approval, as did Larry Williams and Peter Brandt and anybody A lot of people. There. A lot of people, <laughs> yeah. Of no, people. no, no. We, we just have an ongoing joke. Like, JJ's such a, like, fanboy of Jim Dalton. So anything connected to Jim Dalton, he's he's purchasing. So. <laughs> you so, know, I, 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 I'm... I really uh, am glad that you also respect uh, Peter's work, you know, Shadow oh. Trader, because mm -hmm. I think he does a fabulous job in interpreting things uh, beyond what Jim Dalton's initial groundwork did. So, mm -hmm. uh, and, and I would encourage your listeners sure. out there, you can go to his site and sign up for a free email he sends out. I don't know if he sends it out every every morning or once a week or something, but... He oh, yeah, puts we, a lot of content out there for free. Oh, yeah, he we, does. We've had him. We've had him on Linda on the show. Oh, well. great! Yeah, yeah, he's he's yeah. He was uh, well. He was he's the reason why um, you know I, I progressed at all. If and I you know I, I just stumbled across him as I found Tasty Trade when and he and Brad were on Tasty Trade and uh, you know they're off that now. But boy, and then they got me onto Jim Dalton and I was lost because I could not read a candle. <laughs> I call them candle wax charts. I, I can't read those things worth putty, you know, because I mean, I was just an old eye gouger. I just fed market makers order flow from Swiss banks. I mean, what do I know about trading, right? I was just, you know, like a phone chimp. Right? Here's, here's so what you need to know. The market is going up or the market is going down. Okay. You know, or the market's consolidating sideways. And when you asked me earlier about my basic style, my whole game is, get the main idea right for the day. Okay. Mm -hmm. So oh, okay. the main yeah. idea right for the day might be buying morning weakness. If you get that chance, it might be that we're trading high to low or we're trading low to high, or the main idea could just be that you're starting to do a bracketing market, you know, form a trading range and um, you know, you can be more aggressive in some of your counter trend trades. Mm -hmm. but, you know, if you think about just getting the main idea right for the day and on that being right 
60% of the time, because okay, mm-hmm. you're not going to get it right every day, yeah. you, you can make a hell of a living. You yeah. really can. Because mm-hmm. on the days where you do get it right or you do catch a trend day or you are there for that um, window of opportunity, you know, at, at a failed auction or something, mm-hmm. I mean, it's, it's such a lucrative game, you know. It is. But, of course, not, not every day is like that. That's true. Sadly. <laughs> <laughs> All That's right. why God made wine. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> yes. All right, Linda. One last question, and then we'll wrap this up. Uh, give me your top three books, uh, non-trading books. Wow. That's a hard one. I, I have really enjoyed reading so much over the last um, couple years, you know, um, I can't even remember the names of them all. That's how many I've read. But the sad thing is that my mom's in this book club, you know, she's like in three book clubs. She's out in California, right? So she's in three book clubs and she's always like giving me her leftover books once she's read them, you know, she yeah. mails them to me. I'm like, mom, it'd be cheaper for me just to order it off of Amazon. <laughs> you know? <laughs> oh yes, but I want to make sure you had it, you know? So the, the, the sad thing is I, I've gotten a little, um, trigger happy, you know, on the mouse with my Amazon orders. <laughs> and I have about 50 books that, you know, are half read. Uh, <laughs> but, uh, you know, it really depends if, if, if you if you want airplane reading and you're sitting on an airplane or you want something deep and philosophical or something motivational, you know, I kind of go through these periods where, mm-hmm. you know, I'm, I'm totally into the, into reading the latest, uh, you know, behavioral finance type stuff, or else mm-hmm. I'm, I'm totally, uh, you know, into reading what's on um, Reese Witherspoon's, you know, book club, you know, of the, of the month type thing that I can find at the airport when I'm hopping on a plane, you know, or, um, uh, you know, it's uh i've always got books by my my bedside they're they're usually half read i never get to finish a book unless i'm sitting on an airplane so i guess that's not a very satisfactory answer but i am impressed with the fact that we are in this digital medium that we're in nowadays and all of a sudden hard copy books have made such a huge comeback over the last 10 years. I think it's wonderful just seeing these novels and these book clubs. And I will tell you one last thing, because this is one thing that Jim Dalton had told me, um, that he doesn't read books anymore. He listens to them all on books on tape. Right? Oh, the audiobooks. Yeah, those yeah, are great. Audiobooks. Yeah, they're so great. Jim goes out for a walk, and when he goes for a walk, he puts on, you know, his headphones and listens to a book. <laughs> the only problem with that is that you can't fast forward and cheat, you know, and skim <laughs> <laughs> yeah, through this stuff, right? Linda, but, Linda mean, you can. You can. You can you can put the audio on like 1.5x the speed. Yeah, I know, but it's not the same. <laughs> it's not the same. <laughs> it's not the same. It sounds like and remember what what are those um the chipmunks, you know? Yeah, um, exactly. Yeah, oh, yeah. Right. But on on two years ago, I we drove no, maybe it was last year, we drove down from Chicago to Florida, which we do once a year. And I had gotten Ray Dalio's book, Principles, mm-hmm. on the books on tape, which I probably would have never read word by word if I had the actual hard copy book. But when you're trapped in a car for twenty-two hours, you know. <laughs> And you really don't want to listen to, you know, the radio for that long. Um, It was the perfect um, way to kill time because, first of all, um, Ray 
read it, most of it, the at least the first two thirds of it himself, oh, mm -hmm. which oh, was okay. really enjoyable to hear his voice recant the history of how he started in the markets, his challenges, his failures in the market, and then, you know, summarize it in a tidy little bit as he moved on to the next principle. So um, I, that was another medium that I explored that I really enjoyed. Mm, yeah. Yeah, the audiobooks are great. Yeah, like you said, car rides, gym, work, walking outside, whatever. Yeah, it's great. Great way to intake information. So, Linda, appreciate your time. Uh, you sharing with us the experiences and wisdom you've gathered over four decades of trading. Tell our listeners where they can find you and anything else you'd like to leave us with. Well, um, Linda Rashke. Dot net. That's my website, and you can email me through there. I do answer all my emails. I know I think that's sick, but I do. <laughs> and, uh, you know, maybe not the next day, but I, I will answer your emails. And um, you can go there and read the first chapter of the book. You'll also see a spot. Uh, uh, Kyle and I, we're going to do a free webinar, just, you know, just an hour long for people that are a little bit um, newer in their journey in the markets. I get a lot of questions, you know, where to start, you know, or people that need a little bit more guidance. I don't do mentoring or, you know, anything along that line. I don't have chat rooms or courses or anything. But um, so if you go there and sign up, I'll, I'll send you an email when we're going to do that because we're going to do that just in in two more weeks, you know, about awesome. just the basics, you know, what you want to look at when you look at a basic bar chart, you know, what your eyes should gravitate towards mm. and understanding just some really simple uh, chart formations without all this, you know, sensory overload because on the internet you've got, you know, so much basic nonsense out there, you know, on, oh. on goofy stuff, you know, I mean, <laughs> Really, you know, this just it's, being it's, sold to sell for money. <laughs> oh my God, the the, the proliferation <laughs> of of crazy trading education out there is just insane. Um, you know, and I, I for one will be signing up for that webinar because I need to learn how to read a candlestick chart. Oh, well, I'm not uh, dealing with candlesticks. I'm sorry. Oh, That's oh, we're starting at the very basic bar chart. She said level. bar chart. Yeah, I, I, I'm oh, in. No. Listen. Listen, I'm in. I'm a profile guy, so I'm in. Okay, there you yeah, go. Definitely. I have seen more people lose money. It's it's a great concept, bar by bar, right? This price mm -hmm. action bar by bar stuff. I mean, you're basically tape reading is what you're doing. You're watching the tape. There's a lot of merit to that. But I have seen more people in the first, you know, three years of trading lose more money trying to read these like five minute candlesticks oh, bar by mm -hmm. bar you know yeah. like, okay I, i'm guys so glad are missing you the whole point here <laughs> i'm so glad you said that because i always look at those things i'm like i can't figure out what's going on i feel like an idiot you know? <laughs> so <laughs> it's like no there's value but you got to understand that maybe one out of every 20 bars has value and it's really the trader's ability to put it into context. And you exactly. can only put stuff into context when you have that experience under your belt. So if you don't have that framework mm -hmm. of experience to put something into context, you will get chopped to smithereens. Yeah, so. Exactly. Mm. Could not have said that any better than that. <laughs> on that positive upbeat note. <laughs> yeah, so on that, that concludes this episode of Confessions of a Market Maker. <laughs> 
Yes. If you guys enjoyed this podcast, uh, please rate and review it for us. If you're interested in learning market profile, if you're interested in trading a liquid market, if you got a small account, come join JJ and I at microefutures.com. JJ, parting words. Well, it was just, uh, it was an honor. It was a pleasure and um, to have you on the show, Linda. And thank you so much for helping me get my first job in the market. <laughs> and, uh, you, you know, you never get to meet your heroes. It's very cool. A very cool night for me. Thank you so much. All right. You guys take care. Thanks right. for having me on. It was a pleasure to talk with you. I had a lot of fun on this session. All right. Excellent. Excellent. And so for Miss Sardines... For the Marauder of Minsk, <laughs> I'm the Alabaster Disaster. You guys stay safe, though.